All right, so this morning we have Anne Angstead here. So thankful that she's here. She is married to Tom, one of our elders, and she is half of the dynamic duo that runs Wellspring Kids <laughs> over on the other side of the building. So thank you for coming on this side today. We appreciate it. I know there's a lot to get settled in the morning. So um, we are really thankful for you because without you and Kim and all that you do over there, a lot of us couldn't be here uh, on Wednesdays um, since you take care of those kids so well. So um, before Anne comes up, we are going to go over our disciplines like normal. So go ahead and get your notebooks out and turn them over. And um, while you're doing that, also turn to 1 John. We're going to look at 1 John 5 this morning. First John 5, and then we're going to read verses 1 through 5. So go ahead and um, follow along as I read. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So um, the book of 1 John, just as an overview, talks a lot about like the basics of Christianity and foundations of our faith. It was written by John, um, and he was concerned for his people. Um, and in the area at the time of this book being written, there was a lot of false teachers and a lot of false gospels, and um, there was a lot of heresy rampant in the church. Kind of sounds a little bit like today. <laughs> um, so he, he often speaks about the evidence of what a true Christian is in 1 John. Um, and the book was written to refute false teaching, but it was also written to reassure genuine believers. It's a really encouraging book. If you ever have time to study it, I highly recommend it. Um, but here in 1 John chapter 5, he speaks about the victory that believers have in Christ and the evidences of a true believer, which stood out in stark contrast to the false teachers of his day, also the ones of our day, and so um, just really quickly in verses 1 through 5, there's three characteristics of a child of God. <clears throat> the foundational characteristic of a, he uses the word overcomer or believer, is someone that has saving faith. So a child of God has saving faith. Um, just look at the first part of verse 1. <clears throat> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So saving faith, we know it's not merely intellectual acceptance but it's a wholehearted entrustment and dedication of our will and our thoughts and our whole being to Christ. It's a full surrender. And the mark of a genuine believer is that they continue in that faith throughout their life. And whoever places faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior is a child of God. And then the second characteristic of a genuine believer also is found in verse 1. A child of God has love. Look at the second part of verse 1. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So a child of God not only loves God, but he also loves his fellow believers. So this love for God is not merely a sentimental love, but it connotates a desire to love and honor and obey God. And this love for others is one that sacrificially meets the needs of others. So it practices the one another's, like Eric taught about a few weeks ago. It's a good reminder. Um, and then thirdly, at verses 2 and 3, the third, um, ch a child of God is obedient. Verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So um, in verse 3, that word keep conveys the idea of a constant obedience, keep keeping. <laughs> um, so those three characteristics of a child of God, faith, love, and obedience, are all weaved together, and they're the genuine proof of a believer. So the genuine proof of love is obedience, 
and the genuine proof of faith is love. So how do these tie into our disciplines? Every week, Janet or I, and hopefully some of our discussion group leaders soon, uh, will come up here and read our disciplines and talk about them just so that we're all really familiar with them. It's a good reminder. So how do we think about discipline one? The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. So how do we think about that in light of being a child of God? If we look back at verse 4 of our passage in 1 John 5, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So because we are overcomers, we are believers, we have victory over sin because of the gospel, and we need to remind ourselves of that daily. We need to remind ourselves that we have been bought with a price, we've been given new hearts, and those new hearts can have victory over sin. And then look at discipline two. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. So remember that second characteristic of a true believer. A true believer has love, love for the Lord first, but also flows into love for fellow believers and a love for those in our homes. We want what's best for them. And then our last discipline, with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So this discipline requires true, genuine, saving faith. It requires a love for others, and it requires an obedience to practice the one another's. And at the end of this passage, we can see that these disciplines are not meant to be burdensome. It's not meant to be just something else we have to do that's hard, check it off our list. But they are possible when we have fully surrendered our lives to the Lord. So I hope that this morning when Ann teaches is an encouragement to you. I know this lesson is so encouraging to me. I've heard it. We were talking about it on Sunday. I don't know how many times she's taught this. We couldn't figure it out um, a lot. But every time it is encouraging and it is convicting. And so I'm thankful you're here today, Anne. Um, let me pray and then Anne will come on up. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for each of these ladies that are here today. Thank you for all of the ladies over on the other side of the building and Wellspring Kids and for how hard they work to care for those children over there. Thank you for Anne coming this morning for um, the time and the work that she has spent preparing this lesson. Um, thank you for the work that you have done in her heart and in her life. She has been faithful to care well for her own heart and that now is overflowing to us and we are so thankful for that. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as we all sit and we listen, that we would do so with humility, with a desire to change because we know we need to. There's always room to grow and there's always room to be made more like you. Father, I pray that our discussion groups this morning are honoring to you and, and I think about those ladies who aren't able to be here today because of sick kids or whatever the situation may be. Father, encourage them even um, during long nights and hard days. Um, I pray that you would keep them faithful to listen and to come back and help us to reach out to them. Help them remember that they are not forgotten and they are loved. Thank you for this morning, Father, in your name, amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for letting me come to this side of the building with the grown-ups. Um, I always love coming and seeing you ladies, but I love being over there with your children. We're having another really good year. Um, and it's just fun to watch the kids grow and those that maybe cried in the beginning that now actually walk into their class with a smile. We are so excited about that. So thank you for entrusting your children to us. Um, let me pray and then we'll get after it. 
Dear Lord, thank you for this time you've given us to look at your word. Lord, I do pray that my words would be helpful, that they would be a blessing, that they would be an encouragement to just keep keep on keeping on with life when it's hard um, and when it's going well. Lord, you are sovereign over our lives and we entrust ourselves to you. Thank you for a building to meet in. Thank you for the ladies that are here. I do pray for the children and I pray for those families that have some sickness going on that you would heal them. Lord, you are a good and faithful God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, oh, I always, I do this. I have it written and then I go way off. So we're, I'm going to try and rein myself in, but that unfortunately probably won't happen. Um, so as I'm kind of copying what Melissa said, um, but Discipline 1 says, the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the Word of God and in particular the Gospel. And I know some of you have heard this so many times and I I struggle because I'm like, oh man, you're going to hear it again and you're going to fall asleep. Oh well, I, 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 too bad, I don't know. Um, but I know there's some ladies here that maybe are hearing shepherding your heart over and over and over and you're new and you're wondering what are what are they talking about are we sure I, i'm not sure what that means and i know we have one visitor so that's we say shepherding your heart all the time around here we talk about shepherding our children we talk about helping someone by shepherding them through a problem so we're going to dive into that a little bit so what, what does that mean? Are we sheep? Well, yes, the Bible says we are sheep, okay? That's a metaphor, but we're a lot more like sheep than you realize, um, than I realize. Our small group, see, this is totally not on here. <laughs> Our small gro group went through, um, the ladies went through, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, and we learned how, how sheepish we are. Sheep are dumb. Okay, They're, I think they actually use the word stupid, which sometimes we are. We're like sheep. We go running towards the edges. Um, so I'm going to give a plug for A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's an easy read, but it talks about sheep. And like cast sheep or little sheep, I love the picture of this, that get on their back and their little legs flop around, and they need somebody to come pick them up. We're like that sometimes. Sometimes we get stuck on our back and our little legs flop around and we need someone to come alongside and help us. So, shepherding, okay? Um, the definition of a shepherd is a person who herds, tends, and guards sheep. A person who protects, guides, or watches over a person or group of people. Sometimes it's re a shepherd is referred to as a member of the clergy. Um, and then we're to shepherd our heart. So are we talking about this, the heart that beats? No, we're talking about our inner man. Not a piece of you, but it's your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your opinions, your attitudes. It's you. It's the control center of the human being. So if we put it together, shepherding our heart means to tend, guard, and watch over carefully your thoughts, your heart, your mind, your soul. And I know Jacob was here last time and taught um, on the theme verse for well, Wellspring, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart is another way of saying shepherd your heart. It's not, well, there is wisdom in guarding your heart by not eating, you know, a hundred ho-hos um, or ding-dongs. Um, take care of this heart, but we're that that verse is talking about your mind, your soul, your emotions, um, because it's the wellspring of life. Out of the heart comes what's in there, comes out. 
Um, so today we're going to look at two different areas of heart shepherding. The first is when our Bible is open during what some might call your devotional time, your quiet time. There's different names. And then the rest of the time, which is actually probably for most um, is a lot more of the time. So why do we read our Bibles? Why, how do we shepherd our heart when our Bible is open? And Scott Maxwell said, and I love this, we come to the Word of God to meet with the Word of God. And then recently, John Anderson taught on Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40, and I would definitely commend that to you, and I think... Yes, there's a link um, on, on your, there's a resource page this year, okay? So that's new, and it's got a link for this, and he taught on Psalm 119, 33 through 40. I'm just going to read it because it's an encouragement to shepherd your heart. That says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. So that's why we spend time in God's word. So, and this you can fill in on your sheet. Um, why do we come before the Lord with our Bibles open? And this is not an exhaustive list, um, but it's... This was my husband's list. So, the, okay. so the spirals used to be circles. So this message has kind of been adapted throughout the years. It was first birthed with my husband and Scott Maxwell sitting at a meeting, and they drew the circles and came up with that. And then I got the lesson. I said, I like spirals. So I changed it. And they let me. I was like, can I do this? You're elders, I'm not, I'm just me. And they said, sure. So anyways, but these were from my husband. Um, so why do we come before the Lord with our Bibles open? To grow in the knowledge of God. If you want to know about the Lord, don't go sit on Camelback Mountain and close your eyes. Open God's word. That is where God speaks to us. It is in his word. It isn't just let go and let God and he's going to speak to you. No, open your Bible. Number two, grow. it's a way to grow in expressing my love for God. As I read about who he is, I can say, oh Lord, I love you. It's to grow in our enjoyment and our delight in God. As we open his word, there are rich treasures on every single page, even the hard pages, even the hard pages. It's to grow in our fear and our reverence for God. It's to grow in understanding how much we need God. Sometimes we're Americans. We can get, hey, I can pick up myself by my bootstraps and do this. No, you can't. And the older I get, the more I realize that, the more I realize how much I need the Lord. It's to grow in our relationship with God. Again, this is where he has clearly revealed himself to us. We can see parts of God in creation, but to know who God is, you need to be in his word. And then kind of what Melissa was talking about, to grow in holiness. First John is a book that 
talks about what the Christian life looks like. So those are just a few things. Um, so the time that we spend with the Lord and his word is what builds the founda foundation for the rest of the time. And there's lots of different methods of spending time in God's word. But the principle is that we do it. Um, and the methods, you probably all have different plans of how you're spending time in God's word. There's some that I like, some that I don't like. Um, I personally like a combo. Um, I struggle a little bit being nine months in the Old Testament and then this. So it's okay. Yeah, there's McShane's. I tried that one year. That's the one you're four places. Some people were, I love this. And I'm like, I really struggled because my brain was like getting spun up trying to be in four places at once. So anyways, so do what works best for you. Spend time in God's word. So I now want to take time to look at where we're living life, where, where, whether it be working, taking care of children, taking care of your home, helping with your parents, um, shopping, cleaning, driving. I mean, those things just kind of we all do. Um, some people have figured out shopping. You call Walt, you do it online, and then you go pick it up. I, got, I did that once for somebody. I was like, man, you need to learn how to do this. Anyways, but I haven't. Um, so um, shepherding your heart my heart throughout the day. Wrong thinking versus right thinking. And you've got a diagram in your notes. This. This, like I said, used to be circles, but it spirals because you either, you either go down and end up in despair or you go up and are hopeful. So let's start with the orange diagram. And that is listening to myself, my thoughts, my reasoning. It's not a good idea just to listen to yourself. What happens is it's I desire, I deserve, and then I end up demanding. And you'll see that right here. So the de definition of a desire is to want something to long or to hope for. And ladies, desires are not necessarily evil. Um, desires are actually many times a very good thing. Um, honestly, I'd still be in bed, except I desire to be here with you ladies. Um, and probably same with you guys. You're probably still all cozy and, yeah. Um, so desires help us to do things, but some desires are clearly evil, um, and a desire that is evil is something I want more than I want God, or that I'm willing to disobey God to get. So we need to ask ourselves, is my desire self-centered or a desire for God's will? And some things clearly we know are evil desires. And we are to repent, um, like getting drunk, lying, stealing, that, just repent, change, get help if you need it. Um, but where we can really get stuck is in those neutral desires. So maybe I want a different house, maybe I want a newer car, maybe I want to have children, maybe I want to have grandchildren, maybe I want to be respected, maybe I want to be treated kindly. All of those things, I didn't say anything that was sinful. However, those can become sinful if we're willing to sin to get them. Or if we get angry if God withholds them. So what happens often is something, it starts with, then I deserve. So that's thinking, wow. God owes me something. I've done fill in the blank for God, so now he's going to do whatever it is for me. Well, that's, that's wrong. 
And then that thinking I deserve turns to I demand. And I always liken it to shaking my fist at God. Not a good thing to do. But it's, I'm not getting what I desire. I'm not getting what I think I deserve. And now I demand, which leads to disappointment, discouragement, and despair. And you'll see that on the spiral down. It's shaking my fist at God. So if we look at the diagram, you'll see some attitudes that are often present when we're not shepherding our heart through the well, through the day, when we are just listening to ourselves, listening to our wrong thoughts. We may be prideful and arrogant. And I'm not going to read through all the verses. Every one of these sins, because there are sins, has verses with them that you can look up later. Um, so we're going to go through these pretty quickly. It's being wise in my own estimation. Um, an example, if you want to listen to someone that did that, it's King Nebuchadnezzar. Smed just taught on Daniel 4 at Equipping Hour, and you can hear what that looked like. Uh, here, here were King Nebuchadnezzar's words. I myself have built as a royal resident by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Ooh, watch out, step back, you're going to get struck by lightning or end up eating grass for seven years. Um, so we, that's a picture of being wise in your own estimation. Without peace, bitter, loving pleasure and comfort, um, 2 Timothy 3, 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I like, I like comfort, I like pleasure, but boy, not more than God. Being angry, being anxious and fearful. Um, if, if you tend to be anxious or fearful, John Anderson did our women's conference this summer on fear. Go there, listen to it. It's all, all we have such a, a treasure trove of resources um, just on our our church's website. So you can go there under I think it's under conferences. Um, being ungrateful, envious, or jealous, hopeless. And then on the other side, you'll see the actions of someone that's not shepherding their heart well. That is being demanding. It's loving yourself. Boasting. Um, James 4.16 says, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I don't want to boast. It's evil. God says so. It's, you'll see grumbling, biting and devouring, disputing, criticizing and judging, being prayerless, not asking God. James 4.2 says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Withdrawing. And I'll, Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Often, if we're living in this spiral, we withdraw. We remove ourselves from fellowship. We start not getting to church. We miss small group, miss Wellspring. If you're there, well, you're here, so you're not there. <laughs> but sometimes you can feel that when, when things are hard. It's that tendency in our heart is just to want to withdraw. Don't do that. Um, because he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And then the last one is returning evil for good. So that's what it looks like if you're not shepherding your heart. Um, so now I want to look at the blue spiral, and that's shepherding our heart, our thoughts, and our reasoning. And this is... I desire, okay, 
Understanding what I truly deserve equals no demands. So what I desire, I hold my desires with an open hand before the Lord, seeking his will. And remember, if, my, if what's, what I'm desiring is sinful, repent. Don't, don't even mess with it. Um, and then understanding what I deserve. So what does scripture say we deserve? Romans 2, 5 through 6. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, and it's not just yours, it's mine too. So, But because of my stubbornness and about our stubbornness and our unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. That's, that's where we were as unbelievers. God's word tells us that what we deserve, what we earned for ourselves was wrath. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, God's word tells us we deserve death. And remember, for the believer, our worst, most awful, horrible day on earth is better than we deserve. This is as bad as it's going to get. And here's kind of the really awful side of the coin for the non-believer. The worst day here is as good as it's going to get. Which just, that's why we need to share the gospel. So having a biblical understanding of what we truly deserve helps us to think rightly. So we make our requests known to God with an open hand, understanding that what we deserve is wrath and death, and we make no demands. So what kind of attitudes should we be seeing when we're shepherding our heart throughout the day, thinking rightly about our desires and what we deserve? And I like to say this is kind of like, I don't know if you guys are Google doctors, symptom checker. So you type in your symptoms and boom, here's what's wrong with me. Well, that's this, okay, for the Christian life. So these are the attitudes as we are holding our desires with an open hand. We'll be submissive, submissive to what the Lord wants. We'll be content. Um, and Dave Harvey says, this is a quote from him that I, that's super helpful. Godly contentment has to be more than being thankful you're better off than someone else. True contentment comes by comparing what we have to what our sins deserve. That means we find our contentment in the gospel. Another attitude you'll see is I'm not seeking my own way. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, um, it does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. It's not being wise in my own estimation. It's the opposite of King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Romans 12, 16 says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. It's being humble. It's being peaceable and peaceful. It's being joyful. It's being self-controlled. It's enduring. It's being strengthened. And it's trusting. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So that's with your heart, your mind, your soul. It's you. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And then there's the actions. And if you start at the bottom now of the blue spiral, it's asking God. We're going to work our way up. Okay. It's asking God. It's making our requests known to him. 
1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Our God hears us. It's being devoted to prayer. It's loving. It's being kind, being gentle, being thankful, forgiving, being patient. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So whether someone is unruly or faint-hearted or weak, we need to be patient. It's not being vengeful. Leave that to the Lord. It's overcoming evil with good. As we are shepherding our hearts throughout the day, we will walk in obedience, being thankful, not grumbling or complaining. We'll believe that God is good and we'll trust his sovereignty. And John 14, 15, and Melissa, I'm not sure if she said this verse or not, but if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we know we love God? If we're keeping his commandments. So, we make that request known, we're obedient, and we're hopeful. So now I want to kind of turn the corner and talk about, so, okay, this, this is what it looks like. We want to be in that blue spiral up, but how do we do that, okay? So I want to give some ideas of how to shepherd your heart throughout the day. And I want to encourage you, I know some may be in the midst of a trial right now. That's a hard time to start this, so hopefully you've heard the lesson if you're in a trial and are working on it, or you maybe just need a reminder. But starting these habits in the midst of life, kind of, and, and there are times, ladies, where it does feel like life is crashing in. And it's like, boy, if that phone rings one more time or I get one more text, where, where you just kind of grab your phone and go, oh no, it happens, it happens. We need to prepare for that. Um, trials and difficulties will come, and our church has gone through a lot in the last many years. Um, so we need to be prepared. And I, I liken this, um, and I now have a 16-year-old grandson he hasn't got his license yet, but he's got his permit. Okay, would I take Chase, my grandson, out, put him in an 18-wheeler on an icy road and say, here you go, bud, here's the keys? Absolutely not. We're going to start him in the parking lot and pray there's no poles. <laughs> you know? Um, this, we, 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 we want to get prepared, Okay. So hopefully we can prepare for the storm. Um, and I have multiple reminders. I'm like a big reminder, but first Peter, we did, we did do a conference on that, on, or a retreat on being reminders. That was first Peter. So I'm gonna remind you of a whole bunch of stuff. Remember, our goal is not to just put on right thinking, but it's to glorify God in everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink, that stuff we do, I mean, I see multiple drinks. I don't know if I see any food. But that's something we do all the time. Whatever you do, okay? Even in those mundane eating and drinking, do it all to the glory of God. And then James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says we must not just be hearers of the word we must be doers and now and this is a this is a big 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 reminder that has become more and more um something more and more that i've understood over the last three years as tom's had some weird health issues that we still don't know what they are, but praise the Lord, he is doing way better. Um, 
But don't forget, we aren't just spiritual. We aren't just heart, mind, and soul. We're also physical. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self, that is wasting away. And I say, once you hit 50, it bags, sags, and drags. Um, (laughs) Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, that's our heart, our mind, our soul, is being renewed day by day. That's the process we're talking about. But I want to share something because I think our physical body impacts, I, well, I know it does, it impacts our spiritual life. And this comes from somebody way smarter than me. It's Dan Wickert. He's a medical doctor and a biblical counselor. And here's what he says. And I found this um, in a case study in a book called Counseling the Hard Cases. He says, before considering how to help, It is important to understand how mind and body work together. From an anthropological, and I looked it up so I could tell you, relating to the study of humankind. So from an anthropological perspective, a human being includes these two distinct components. What we call the heart, soul, or mind is the inner man, and what we call the what we call the body, including its chemical processes, is the outer man. These two components function closely together, and scripture often addresses them together. Deuteronomy 6.6 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. (laughs) Moses urged Israel to pursue God with all the facets of their inner man, that's the heart and soul, and with all the functions of their outer man, that's their strength. There are many pathophysiological, okay, I lift that up too. That means functional changes associated with or resulting from disease or injury, okay? So there are things caused by disease or injury in which the mind affects the body and the body in turn affects the mind. For example, and remember, this is a medical doctor talking, okay? I'm still quoting him. For example, an abnormally low functioning thyroid will produce physical consequences such as decreased energy, cold intolerance, and weight gain. Oh, yikes. But it can also have emotional ramifications, like depression, and mental ramifications, difficulty concentrating. A low hemoglobin level, that's the result of blood loss, sounds lovely too, yields similar consequences, energy loss, lightheadedness, and headaches, which combine to make it difficult for the person to think rightly. The mind and body are connected in a wonderful, intricate, cyclical way. So just know your physical body can impact you spiritually. And and it it's not an excuse for sin, but even with your children or with your roommates or your spouse or your parent, Lisa, with your parent, (laughs) (laughs) poor Lisa, you know what, be gracious, you know, if, if your little one says, mommy, I've got a really bad headache, and then he goes and punches his, you know, it's not okay to punch your sibling, but show some grace, um, and again, sometimes, thankfully, we can make some adjustments in our lives by getting more exercising, by trying to get better sleep. That's, that one's hard. Um, if you're not sleeping well, saying, well, you just need to sleep well. Well, okay, but sometimes it does. I know from personal experience, it doesn't always work. You can cut out all the caffeine, all the chocolate, all the everything that you're supposed to do, not exercise right before you go to bed, turn off your screen, the whole nine, and still not sleep well. So I, so I get it. But 
consider it. How is your sleep? Are you exercising? Huh? How about stress? And as my husband said, if you win the lottery, that's stressful. I mean, we live in a stressful world. We just do. Um, your schedule. Maybe you've started a new medication. And I, I know this from personal family experience. Multiple, multiple people in our family have not done well with different medications. Sometimes medications can make you crazy, okay? And the pharmacist may tell you, no, no, no. Well, if you, this is my mom advice. If you just started a new medication and you're within like five to 10 days and you start having emotional problems or you start whatever, fill in the blank, it may be that medication. And it may not be that anybody else in the whole world had that side effect, but be careful. Talk to your doctor. Talk to the pharmacist. Um, I, yeah, I could get on. I could, yeah, I hear my daughter laughing. <laughs> I could get on my soapbox, but I won't. So think about those things. And then just another practical thing, think about what are you filling your mind with? If you're fearful and all you ever watch is scary scary movies with monsters what do you expect you know um if if you're really struggling like oh, i really don't like my house and all you ever do is go to model homes well you're asking for it um so here's the practical stuff so the, there's 11 and this got changed two years ago. It used to be something else, but Pam, yes. Sorry. You had mentioned Second Corinthians four six when you were talking about the body or whatever. Did I get that right? Was that uh, I think that was Second Corinthians four six. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And maybe I wrote this could be wrong, but it. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That's not it. Okay, well, somebody can Google it and let me know. 416. A one makes a big difference, doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry. That's, it's easier, though, for me to have everything written down, even though it's written down wrong. I will correct that, hopefully, <laughs> before Saturday. Um, okay, so what should we do? Number one, pray. Ask for God's help. Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. He already does. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And you already were recommended the prayer book. So I just want to remind you, use that. Um, so that's number one. Number two is ponder. Ponder the attributes of God, and that's going to be your homework um, part of it, is to look at the attributes of God in Psalm 145. And in Psalm, I, last year you did Psalm 103, this year you're doing 145. But I'm just going to read a few of the attributes of God from Psalm 103. And it says, forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's just a few from that one psalm. That's encouraging. God's compassionate. He's abounding in loving kindness. Um, know your God. Know our God. Um, pink has the attributes of God. We have this on the bookshelf. 
and it's he goes through 17 attributes of God this if you're struggling this is a good place to go uh, still under number two ponder truth Philippians 4 8 says finally brethren whatever is true whatever is honorable Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Thinking about those things when you're in the storm is so helpful. Um, ponder your identity in Christ. And it's actually this year, it's on the resource page. Smed's message, there's a link for it, um, from August 31st, 2014, and it's the Christian's identity in Christ. And I keep a copy of this in my Bible, and the, these are all, as you can see, these are who we are in Christ. And I'm just going to read a few because it, it will encourage your heart, it always encourages mine. We're saved by God's mercy. We're chosen of God, set apart by the Spirit, loved by the Lord, chosen. We're destined for salvation. We're called brothers to Jesus. We're free from the slavery of fear and death. And if you were here for this sermon, we were over at Valley Christian, and Smed read this whole list, and I think it's like five or seven pages. And by the end, it's like we all wanted, I think we, I don't know if we stand up and cheered, but it felt like it because it was our identity in Christ, who we are. And I will tell you to just sit and listen to that. If you're struggling, will help your soul. And so it is linked on the paper. Um, number three, promises. And I'm, I'm just going to read a few promises from God's word. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke again. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Romans 8.30 And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, Psalm 118.1 Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 119.68 You are good and do good. And sometimes in the midst of the storm, all you can say is, Lord, you are good and you do good. It may not feel like it right now, but you are good and you do good. Um, from the Greener Grass Conspiracy, and there's actually, the link is on there for the whole book. Uh, we were given the link and told we can share it. So you got a whole book in your resource page. And I think the link's up on the top, the picture of the book's down on the bottom. Um, I personally love this book. I think it's super, super helpful. Um, he says, the promises of God are our, are our weapons in the battle against discontentment. And I believe wrong thinking. For every temptation to be discontent, or have wrong thinking, there's a promise of God that meets that temptation. The abundant grace of God promised in the scriptures far exceeds any circumstance we encounter. But if we're going to fight discontentment effectively, we need to stockpile our weapons. When temptation strikes, we need to have go-to promises to sustain and strengthen us. There should be pages in our Bible that are tattered and torn from constant use. Number four is people. People from the past. Spend time studying the heroes of the faith. 
Joseph, Job, Paul, Jesus. That's just to name a few. Read biographies. And then there are people from the present, young and old saints, who are trusting in the Lord in the midst of the difficulties of life. We need to keep believers at close range. And that's one of the reasons why GBC makes such a priority of being in a small group. And I won't read these, but you might want to write them down. Hebrews 3.12, Hebrews 10.24 and 25 talk about why we need each other. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7, it's Paul talking about, and I'll just read this, but God who comforts the downcast, okay? So God who comforts the downcast comforted us, this was Paul speaking, by the coming of Titus. Sometimes when we're struggling, that phone call from a friend, that, that somebody stopping by, is just what we need. And and God, I believe, is sovereign over that. Um, so we we do need each other. We are not we're not islands. Um, and then as far as people go, prefer other people. One of the best things you can do when you're struggling and it may be super, super hard, but it's serving others. There are times when that sounds like the last thing you want to do. But serving one another can be balm for your soul. Um, and that the reference you might want to look up later is 1 Peter 4.10. Okay, number five, preach the gospel. And Melissa said this too. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I want to recommend the gospel primer. Um, this is a great tool to help you preach the gospel every day to yourself. So if you don't have this, it is on the book rack. Um, so I can recommend that. Jerry Bridges sums up preaching the gospel to yourself this way. To preach the gospel to yourself then means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate again by faith the fact that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God, that he is your propitiation, and that God's holy wrath is no longer directed toward you. This means that you take at face value the precious words of Romans 4, 7, and 8, which are, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It means that you believe on the testimony of God that, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's Romans 8, 1. And a quote from Bridges that kind of sums it up. Our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And you can write this on your notes. Romans 3, 19 to 26, that's the gospel in, the nut, in a nutshell. So you can look that up later. Number six is Psalms. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Go to the Psalms. They're full of who God is, how to talk to him, his promises. And I want to recommend um, Psalm 121, Smed's message on Psalm 121 that he did a couple weeks ago. That's super, super helpful. There's also a link, Psalms for the Anxious, and it's it's a compilation by John MacArthur of different psalms um, that are encouraging. So that link is on there. Number seven, praise. Singing and worship. And I always recommend Spotify. Our church has the 
the songs that we sing um, in a Spotify link, I don't know. Um, I listen to the same songs all the time. And I like listening to those songs because I know that Josh has checked them out. And so I think that's super helpful. And I will tell you, if you are really struggling with your thoughts, they're going crazy and you're trying to rein them in and you start singing, put on, put on Spotify and start singing those hymns because it's really hard to sing and worry at the same time. Um, number eight, perspective. And this is a quote from Josh Kelso after Caleb passed. He said, the deepest sorrow under God's grace is sweeter than the greatest joys under his wrath. Great is his faithfulness. That's a man who shepherd, had shepherded his heart so that when the trial came, he knew God's grace is sweeter than the greatest joys under his wrath. Um, so our perspective, we want to keep eternity in view. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, I'm not going to read that. You can read it later. Um, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is another place. How do we encourage one another? Jesus is coming back. Okay. Uh, let me just read a little bit of that. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That means not sleeping. That means who are, who are dead. Okay? That you may not grieve as others who do not have, as others who, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We can encourage one another with those words. Number nine, provision. God is our provider. He provides a relationship with his son. He provides the Holy Spirit. He gave us his word. We have his saving and enabling grace. 2 Peter 1.3 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We have provision from the Lord. Number 10 is prepare. As I said earlier, we do need to prepare because trials will come. And sometimes, ladies, I know for me, it's, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I know what I'm thinking right now is wrong. I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes it is keeping those little things, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God is good, and he does good. Sometimes that's all you can get out. Um, but that's okay. So we need to prepare. If things are going well, be thankful. Spend time knowing God deeper and deeper, better and better, so that when the storms come, and I, they will, um, you're better prepared. And Wellspring is part of the preparation process. Being at Sunday service is part of that process. Take the means of God's grace. Memorize God's word. Have those passages ready to go to when, when your heart is heavy. Um, you need to be ready. Have, like I said, places in God's word to go, sermons to listen to, songs to sing, a trusted friend to call to help you in your time, time of need. And remember, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Jesus said in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And then last is number 11, practice, persevere, and press on. So... 
Philippians 4, 8, which I already read. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, those things. But then it says at the end of that, verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that's Philippians 4, 8 through 9. And then 1 Timothy 3.15 says, Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And then Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And sometimes it can, life can be at a place where all you can do is do the next right thing. If you're in an extremely difficult situation, maybe all you can do is live the next five minutes, the next one minute, the next 10 minutes, and keep doing that over and over again. Spurgeon said, the very best thing in the world when you are nervous and troubled is to live by very short periods. Live by the day, or better still, live moment by moment. And I know for me, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these are 11 different tools, um, just hopefully to help you if you're struggling or just living, because we need to do this. Even when things are going well, we need to spend time with the Lord. We that He needs to be our focus. So remember, our goal as we shepherd our hearts throughout the day must be to glorify God in everything we do. Again, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, so whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And Charles Hodges who's another medical doctor and biblical counselor, says those two verses put together, I want to glorify God more than I want to breathe. That should be our prayer. And I want to pray, and I'm going to pray, well, I'm going to read, we'll pray, and I'm going to read some words from Spurgeon, be more like Christ. So please pray with me. Lord, Thank you for your goodness. And as Spurgeon said, you are saved. Seek to be like your Savior. Strive to come nearer to Christ, nearer to God, and nearer to holiness. Every day, seek to lose yourself more in Christ, to live more completely in him, by him, for him, with him. Seek to have greater heights of holiness, deeper self-denial, braver service, more intense love, more burning zeal, and to be more godlike and Christlike. Lord, help us to do those things. Help us to walk closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen.